But, uh, but you know, it's a good reminder for us as adults, right? How, how often do we live our lives saying, yes, yes, God, yeah, yeah, the Holy Spirit, yes, yes, God can change lives. But then how many times do we actually trust that God can actually do what he has promised to do? That he's actually given us himself, the Holy Spirit at work in us. I think it's a good reminder for us as adults, right? Am, am I right there? Amen? Amen? And yeah, good. I mean, we all need to hear it. We need to be reminded of these truths. And so... Uh, good. I'm glad we did that. Now, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to chapter 9, because today we are going to wrap up the last moment, the last morning uh, in the book of Daniel for a while. And, and you know what? Well done. We, we, we have surveyed. We didn't cover every verse in the book of Daniel, but we have surveyed the book of Daniel. And, and you need to hear me say, well done, right? The Christian faith teaches us to treasure God's Word. In other words, to value it. To, to, to see it as not just being, uh, you know, like a, a poster on our wall that we say, hey, this is important to us, but to treasure it ourselves. And that means that, that we're to open it and see it as a gift from God, that God has given us something that, that's meaningful. This is more than just some ancient document that's filled with lots of wisdom. It's, it's filled with treasures, endless treasures of wisdom for us, for our life. At, it, at its very core, the scriptures are the very words of God. Think about this for a moment. The, the scriptures are the very words of God that God has breathed out, that, that God of, of all eternity has revealed himself to us, to his creation, as he breathed out these words for us to, to hear and to receive and to be transformed by. And, 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 and that means that these words, the scriptures, are valuable. They're meaningful. That's what we believe as followers of Christ, that, that all of scripture is valuable, is meaningful, is, is beneficial. And so the next question we should be asking ourselves is, beneficial for what, right? What, what benefit, what meaning, what value does the scriptures have for us? Well, they make us whole. They make us complete. You may not realize this from your perspective on the world, but you're an incomplete person apart from God Revealing himself to you and showing you and, and telling you who you are and who you are to become, who he created you to be. There, there's a, an illustration uh, that Albert Einstein uh, shared that, that this professor sits down with a bunch of students and, and has this gigantic blackboard. I don't know if you guys remember what blackboards are, but you know, it's one with chalk on them and all that. Anyway, and he says, okay, you guys are, 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 are graduate students. You guys think you know a lot. How much of this blackboard do you think, if, if this blackboard represents all of knowledge, all of our wisdom, how much of this blackboard do you think you know? And, you know, the, the bold ones come up and they draw a nice big circle on there. And they say, I think this much of the blackboard. But the reality is, he goes, okay, I'll give you that. We'll say you know that much. But then look at all the space beyond that circle that you don't yet know. Reality is... We, I think we think we're gods in some ways when we look at this world. We think we know everything. We've got everything. We're complete. But the reality is there's so much of God's creation that we don't yet know and understand. And we can only know through a relationship with Jesus Christ, through the one who is the very revelation of God, the, the God himself speaking into existence for our knowledge who he is. And so the, the scriptures are valuable. They're meaningful, not just so that we might know God, but because they, spiritually speaking, do a work of changing us, transforming us, making us whole and complete. And so to spend time in the book of Daniel is extremely valuable, even though it may 
at times feel very heady and, and thick and, and confusing, and, and you're not alone if you feel that way. Even Daniel says that he felt that way, right, when, when dealing with these wisdoms. But well done, not giving up, sticking with it, right? really digging in and paying attention to, to what God is revealing to us in the book of Daniel. So I, I think that we need to give ourselves some credit here and acknowledge that, that there's value and meaning in us dwelling in, in a, a challenging book like the book of Daniel. Secondly, I just want to, just before we actually get into Daniel 9, I, I want to take a moment to walk back some words I shared with us last week. Last week I said that God doesn't want us to be distracted by becoming consumed with figuring out timelines and, and, and what certain world powers might be represented by certain parts of Daniel's visions here and there. Let me just say this clearly for, for a moment. Studying the apocalyptic visions and dreams of Daniel in the Bible is, is not a distraction or a waste of our time. Okay, it's not a, 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 a fruitless task that we go about doing where it just leads to arguments of who believes what and, and, and what's where. These last few weeks, I, I hope we've been able to capture even a glimpse of the treasure that's meant for us here in the book of Daniel. Even if we've still walked away from these, these visions a little bit confused or not understanding them, I hope that you've been able to glimpse a, a, a portion of the treasure that God has for us in these visions and dreams, that God has just shaped your hope and your faith just a little bit more for the future that God would have for us. See, my concern for us is that uh, as a church, if we become too focused on, on calculating the end times that are depicted in these visions and dreams, then I, I think we, we give a little less attention and effort to living faithfully in the present life that God has called us to. And so I, I was probably more concerned about, uh, about us becoming too concerned about anticipating when the end was coming and losing out on God's call to faithfulness in the present moment but the reality is the two go hand in hand. To anticipate the future and what God has for us shapes how we are living faithfully in the present moment. So just a word of caution as we kind of continue in, in this passage this morning. If fear is the main description of your heart when studying the end times, then you're probably too consumed with, with the dreams and the visions of the future. So fear is not one of the fruits that God wants to cultivate in the hearts and the lives of his children. Fear is not one of the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit that God wants to cultivate in us through the work of his Holy Spirit is a deeper faith and a greater hope that the future is in God's hands and that God will accomplish all that he has set out to do. Also, if you're so concerned about being faithful and preparing for the end times— Right? If you're anxious about reading the, the, the landscape of what's happening in our world and our culture, and you're so concerned with that, then you're probably missing out on being faithful in the present moment. You're, you're, you're missing out on, on the opportunities God has blessed you with in the present moment to trust him and to see his hand at work in the things of your life. So just as Daniel, we learned last week, got up from the confusing vision that, that he was given and went back to work in the, in the business of King Belshazzar, so we're expected to get up, to go back to the business where, of where God has planted us, to be his missionaries, to, be, to bringing the light and the life of Christ into this world, 
And, and if we're so concerned with reading the, the signs of the times and, and trying to prepare for what we feel is a ramping up of things, then we're missing out on the opportunity we have to be faithful in our culture, to be proclaimers of this good news of Jesus Christ, to be those who proclaim, guess what? We know this son of man who will be given all authority in heaven and on earth. We, he's come. He's atoned for our sins. Let me tell you about him. Don't be worried about the future because God has an answer for you. And just as the kids learned this morning, it's a lesson in remembering that God can do what seems impossible to man, that he can save us, that he can rescue us, that he can transform us, give our lives meaning and purpose and make us whole again. So my prayer for us as we wrap up these passages on Daniel is that it would bear the fruit of a greater trust in God to accomplish what, what, he's, what he's promised to do, to, to accomplish the, the future that he's planned out for this world. Peter reminds us of what our posture should be then in, in these times. He, he says in 2 Peter chapter 3, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother, Paul, also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. We're to wait, church. We're to wait, and we are to pursue. Waiting doesn't mean doing nothing. We're waiting on God to do what God will do, and in the process, we pursue. We wait on God to bring about his plans for salvation for this world. We're, we're waiting, and in our waiting, we do not spend our time focusing on, on, on reading the times and the calendars and, and getting anxious or worried. We spend our time pursuing the righteousness of God, that our hearts might be found in Jesus, as, Paul, as Peter says, without spot or blemish. Or, or in Jesus' own words, we're to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's our focus, church. It hasn't changed and it's not going to change even as the days of the, the end draws near. We remain dedicated and focused to seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And so, all that said, again, well done. For not shying away from texts that may feel scary or overwhelming or confusing, but, but remaining steadfast, focused on the Lord, faithful, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, even as we let God's word shape our understanding of the future we hope in. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. We're going to wrap up our, our, our kind of uh, survey of, of Daniel's dreams and visions here in the second half of the book of Daniel. I'm going to read for us actually just seven verses, seven or eight verses here in the, the, the latter half of Daniel chapter 9. Follow along with me as I pick up in verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God, for the holy hill of my God. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. 
Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed place, a prince, there shall be a seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, and, but in troubled times. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city in a sanctuary." Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we confess that the, the, the word can feel overwhelming and significant and yet not uh, we're not able to fully understand, and so, Lord, we pray that your Spirit would, uh, would quicken our hearts and minds to, to, to glean from your Word what it is you determined us to glean, that it might bear the fruit of a greater faith and a greater hope in your future, that we might be boldened to be people who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because of the chance we have to, to, to glimpse over the shoulder of Daniel as he receives this clarity from the angel Gabriel. And Lord, we just pray your blessing on this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so our passage this morning is an account of an interaction between Daniel and the angel Gabriel. As you may remember from the first half of, of the book of Daniel, Daniel's this, uh, an Israelite exile, someone who was captured by the, the Babylonians and taken to, to Babylon and then, and then raised in the, the, the kingdom or the, the business of the king. But he was remaining faithful to the Lord in all of that. He was one who was identified as being a, a faithful Israelite who would bow before the Lord twice a day in prayer and spend time with God. And it's at one of these regular times of prayer that Daniel is visited again by Gabriel. In fact, Daniel comes to this time of prayer with God's earlier promises in mind. Not just that this is what I'm going to do because this is what I do, but because he's remembering what God had already declared and decreed. Listen to what we read in chapter 9, verses 2 to 3. In the first year of his reign... I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. <laughs> Apparently, Daniel believes what we believe about the word of God that all of Scripture is breathed out by God and is valuable for our well-being, valuable for making us whole and complete, valuable for giving us hope to live faithfully in times of persecution and trial. You see, what he's remembering is a promise that God made to his people through the prophet Jeremiah, that, 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 that God would bring upon his people a punishment for their stubbornness and their wickedness and, and, and their insolence, their, their, their transgressions, 
that, that God would lead them to, into exile at the hands of the Babylonians because they had chosen to turn their back on God, to, to offend God, to be, to be a, a people uh, that were wicked and, and sinful. But this exile, as God promises, would not be forever. It would last for 70 years, so the prophet Jeremiah says. And according to Daniel's understanding, those 70 years are almost up, which is where he comes to this, this time of prayer with. Jeremiah told the people of this prophecy in chapter 25 of the book of Jeremiah. He says, This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after the 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Now, according to, to Daniel's understanding, for, from when the Babylonians captured Israel, those 70 years were almost up. God was about to do what he believed God would do, that he would bring this exile to an end. You may remember from... from when Daniel was a young man, that, that he lived under the life of exile in Babylon, right? And it's not just like, hey, I'm living in another land for a little while. He was in one of these first groups of Israelites that were captured and taken into Babylon, and, and, and he endured, he faithfully endured that exile. He endured the, the pain and the persecution that he had to, to walk through. He, you could imagine then his eagerness to think, okay, the time's almost up. It, we're going to be going home soon. The, 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 the difficulty, the, the pain, the persecution we've endured, it's coming to an end. You may remember Daniel's friends were threatened, by being, uh, threatened to be burned alive if they didn't bow before King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel himself had spent the night in a den of lions for praying to God. Countless times Daniel served the king knowing that his Babylonian colleagues, the other advisors, were not his friends. In fact, they were his enemies and they plotted against him. And so can you imagine what he must have felt like as, as these 70 years were almost complete? This must have been a little bit like the joy a parent feels in anticipating uh, the, the day of their child's birth, right? And they, you're counting down the, the weeks uh, until the, the, the child will be here. Or you know, I, many of us can resonate with this. It, it must be like watching the number of payments you have left on your student loan before you've paid off your, your debt, right? It, it's excitement. You're thinking, wow, look, we've almost done it. We're, we've almost made it. You, you kind of look back from where you've come and you're looking ahead to, to be, things being complete and, and, and done. And so Daniel's prayer here, here in the beginning of chapter 9 is a prayer that anticipates God's rescue of his people from the Babylonians. It's a prayer of repentance, right? He's not just saying, thanks God for coming and get us. He's, he's petitioning God. He's going before God on behalf of his people saying, God, I haven't forgotten our sin against you. I haven't forgotten why we've spent these near 70 years in exile. Forgive us, O Lord. Restore us to our relationship with you. Bring us back to the land of promise with you, Right? This is a prayer where Daniel expresses his deep dependence on God and God's promises on behalf of his people. But I think it's interesting to notice that when the angel Gabriel shows up, 
It is to affirm the end, but not necessarily the end that Daniel is anticipating. Look at what Gabriel says to Daniel in verses 22 and 23 of our passage. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. In other words, Daniel, before you could even say what you want to say, I've been sent out to tell you something, right? Before you can even tell me what you're longing for, I've come to declare what, I, what, God, what God was going to do all along, right? In other words, Daniel's prayer is not the impetus for the end. It is Daniel's eye-opening moment where he realized God was going to do this regardless of what I had to say in this moment. See, Daniel's praying for the end of his exile and the end, and the end of the exile of his people, but Gabriel comes to tell him about the end of mankind's exile from God's heavenly kingdom, from the land of promise. Church, it's so very important that we put into context the promise of God given to us through the book of Daniel. It's important for us to understand that more than just something that was to happen in history between the Babylonians and the Israelites and, and the Medes and the Persians was a promise that God had given. See, the message that Daniel is given is not some encoded mystery that we need a, a decoding ring to understand. The end that God promises through the book of Daniel is not some temporary reprieve of fighting where, where he releases one nation from captivity and then, oops, they fall into captivity in another nation. That's not what's going on here. That's not what Gabriel has come to say. If, if Gabriel is here to answer Daniel's prayer, then there would be no Medes and the Persians, right? Daniel's saying, hey, we're, th we're at the end of our 70 years. We're going home, people. But that's not what happens. And so Gabriel is here to, to, to offer Daniel a bigger, a better promise, something that actually has to do with the end of God's, of the exile of God's people from his heavenly kingdom. See, the end that God promises through the book of Daniel is a hard stop to the reign and rule of evil and wickedness in this world. And after the end, there's going to be everlasting joy for the people of God, right? I, I, Isaiah describes this moment in multiple places as the ransomed of the Lord returning and coming to God's heavenly city with singing. Everlasting joy will be upon their heads, Isaiah tells us we shall obtain gladness and joy unlike we've ever fully known, and sorrow and sighing will flee. So this is the end that, that Daniel is being told about by the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel tells Daniel that in preparation for this moment of jubilee, some things will happen. Some things are going to happen before the end comes. Verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. See, before the end that Gabriel talks about with Daniel, six things must happen. Six things are going to be accomplished. Three things that God will put an end to, and three things that God will unequivocally establish for his kingdom going forward. 
God's going to bring an end to transgressions. Or, or depending on which translation you read, God's going to bring an end to the wrongdoings of people. God will make an end of sin. God will make an atonement for guilt. And then God will bring in everlasting righteousness. He'll seal up both vision and prophecy, and he'll anoint a most holy place. Now, it's worth reflecting in this moment. As we think about the, times, uh, the, the end of times coming, who the, the, the primary actor is in the end? Who the author and actor is as times approach the end? Is it you and me? No. It's God. God is the primary author and actor in the end of all things. This is God's, this is God's predetermined future, his predetermined plan. It was determined before Daniel kneels down to pray and Gabriel comes and visits him. That's why Gabriel says, hey, when you, when you began to send out your pleas, I was sent forth. Not I waited till you were done saying what you need to say and then I came. This is a predetermined plan of God. And what God isn't saying here is that he's giving Israel 70 weeks, 70 time periods to get their act together before he brings it all crashing down on them. This is not a warning. This is not a, hey, shape up before the end comes. Now, as a parent, I sometimes use the count of three uh, disciplining in my household, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? This is the, kids, if you don't turn off your electronics, put your toys away and get to the table before I count to three, there's going to be some, some trouble to, to, uh, to account for, right? Then you, you count to three, and the kids come scrambling at, into the table if, if, they're, if they're genuinely afraid enough. That's not what God is doing here. God isn't saying, Israel, I'm counting down 70 weeks, and if you don't put an end to your wrongdoings and, and, and your sin and atone for your guilt, you're going to be in big trouble. That, that's not what God is saying. What God, what God is saying is that when the end comes, he will have done what only he can do. He will do what we cannot do. He'll accomplish what we've never been able to accomplish. He will finally and completely fix our broken and wayward hearts. How many of you are sick and tired of aiming for righteousness, of aiming to be obedient to God, but then seeing our failures day in and day out? That's not because you're doing it wrong. That's because you cannot fix yourself. This is not, a, your broken heart is not something that you can change. That is something that God must accomplish. And we need to depend upon him, to hope in him, to trust him to do what we cannot do. And so when the end comes, God will finally and completely fix our broken and wayward hearts. He'll, he'll put an end to our failures and our inability to live up to the, the righteous standards of living in God's kingdom. God will pay the deficit in our moral bank accounts. There's a recognition, people, that, that there's, there's more sin in my life. There's more of a, a debt that I pay than I like to admit. And, and God promises before that end will come, God will have atoned for those, those deficits, those debts. God will establish righteousness as the rule of the land. Would you say righteousness is the, the common, agreed-upon standard of, of the rule of our land? I wouldn't say so. 
I'd say people are confused as to what righteousness actually is. And it, uh, there's, there's no agreement as to what righteousness is. But what God promises before the end will come is that God will establish righteousness as the rule of the land, the rule of his kingdom, which is coming. God, God will fulfill every last promise he's made. And, and specifically the one that, that we read about in Daniel 7, where God puts on trial the, the evil and wicked powers of this world, removes authority and dominion from them, and gives it to the one like a son of man. That's what God's going to do. And, and lastly, God will establish the place, the most holy place where he will dwell again with his people. Now, there are, there are many of us in this room and in this world who are asking a very natural question at this point. Great. How long, Lord? When's that going to be? I, I want to know. I want to be prepared. I, I, I want to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with you before that day comes. I mean, who isn't sick and tired of sin? I, I mean, it's easy to say I'm sick and tired of sin out there in the world. But if we're honest with ourselves, can't we acknowledge that we're sick and tired of, of our own failures, our own weaknesses, our own sin? I mean, that's a pretty important thing to confess at some point. Not, not, not necessarily to the people around you, but to at least confess to yourself and then to acknowledge that before God. Say, God, I'm tired of, of, of this incessant pride that just keeps rearing its ugly head. I, I, I'm tired of my impatience. I'm tired of assuming the worst about other people. I'm, I'm tired of not being the kind of person that I know you want me to be. Who isn't sick of that, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure we all are. And so our, our desire to know when this end will come, when, when God will do these things, is a natural desire. It's normal, right? The problem is the answer that Gabriel gives to Daniel's prayer, it's, it's kind of, you know, confusing. It's enigmatic, right? It's hard to understand. It's hard to make sense of. And, and so he tells them, hey, it's going to be 77s. It's going to be 70 weeks until the end comes. This is kind of an odd thing, right? It's hard to make sense of what Gabriel means by 70 weeks. Is it literally 70 weeks? Is it, is it 70 hours, 70 years, 70 days? What, what's going on here? See, in the Bible, this has been, this idea of 77s or 7s is used in numerous places, and it's kind of like a, a, an, an odd way of, of putting numbers and time in God's language. In Leviticus, God tells Moses that, that Israel is to mark off seven weeks of 7s after which God will bring forgiveness on the land through a Sabbath rest. It, it, it's, it's this time period that Israel came to know that after 49 years, the land would rest. They wouldn't grow crops on it. In, in a sense, it's like this, this object lesson of forgiveness, that, that they wouldn't be raking the ground and trying to force something to come up out of the land, but they would give it rest so that it, the, the land could be restored and forgiven of all the resources that had been pulled out of the, the soil over those last 49 years. And so God had a plan to bring forgiveness on the, the land through a Sabbath rest. This idea of a, it's, it's like a, a jubilee year. In the New Testament book of Matthew, 
when Jesus' disciples ask him, hey, Jesus, how many times should we forgive our brothers? What does Jesus tell them? He says, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, I think the, the point that we can draw from this use of the, uh, of the sevens here in the Bible is that the, the 77s or seven sevens or seven times 77 or whatever it is, it, it is this fullness of time when God is going to bring in his forgiveness upon the land or the people. God is calling us to this fullness of forgiveness and restoration and wholeness and perfection. So the Jubilee year in Leviticus was a foreshadowing of a time when the land would be healed. Forgiving not seven times, but 70 times seven is a foreshadowing of, of the forgiveness that's far greater than any of us could offer one another. A forgiveness that God brings upon us, that gives us and extends upon us. And so here in Daniel 9, I believe that the 77s or seven weeks as we read in our passage points to the fullness of God's timing and bringing his, his forgiveness and his restoration on his people or for his people. Now, it's important to point out that there's, this is where a lot of scholars and believers diverge in their understanding of what's happening here. The, the timeline that Gabriel gives Daniel is a timeline in which there's this idea of 70 years from, uh, from when, the, um, from when the, the people are sent back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, and then there's 62 weeks or years, or, or sets of years, that, that, um, that, that the people are to wait until an anointed one is identified, is, is revealed, and then cut off. And then there's still another, uh, the, the, the 70th week until the end comes, right? It's all, it's all very confusing. And I, and I say that confidently because there are many, many people that, that share different views and beliefs as to what this means. Take, let me just read the passage real quickly for us in verse 25 to 27. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, and, and, but in troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now, as I mentioned, many scholars have attempted to calculate the end from these 77s that are described in these verses. And honestly, depending on what calendar you use, is it a solar calendar? Is it a lunar calendar? Is it the calendar that was used in Babylon? Is it a calendar that was used in Egypt? You know, depending on what calendar you work from, or, or, or even when you believe Gabriel is referring to the to going out of the word to restore and, and rebuild Jerusalem you get different calculations and different outcomes. There, there are some who believe that it was under, uh, when Ezra was sent back to rebuild the temple that we are to begin the calculations. Others, when, when Nehemiah is sent back 
to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. There's uncertainty. There's, there, there's, there needs to be some flexibility here in our calculations and our understandings of, of what's being referred to here. What we do need to see from a big picture is that God is promising to bring all of this creation, all of this world to its end. And here in the book of Daniel, you see, yes, God does bring an end to Babylon's persecution of the people of Israel. And then a while later, and the people of Israel are sent back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the wall, to, to be what's a, a second temple now. What we understand in history is the second temple time period in the people of Israel. But wouldn't you know it that after a period of time, there is an anointed one that's cut off, right? Oftentimes in Scripture, we, we see how God is, refers to his son Jesus as his anointed, the Lord's anointed, right? And what happens in being cut off, in being separated? He's crucified, right? Dead and buried, and rise again. And then we carry on, and, 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 and then guess what? In AD 70, the temple is destroyed again. And so there's a lot of confusion as to what we're talking about here. Uh, you know, in these verses, I think there's an allusion to what God will do, what God is doing, what God has yet to do. Those six things that we highlighted earlier are not all complete. They're not all done. There are things that God, has God brought an end to sin? Do, you, do we still struggle with sin? Do we still see sin's impact in this world? Yes. So that promise is one that we look forward to with anticipation when sin will be no more, right? Has God made an atonement for the sin of people? Yes. Through Christ's death and resurrection, God has atoned for the sin of the world. What does John declare, John the Baptist declare about Jesus when he sees Jesus walking? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So some of these things God has done, some of these things God has yet to do. And, and church, what I want to encourage us with is as we approach a passage like this, not to be so concerned about nailing down every detail to make sure it works well for us and makes me feel good like I've mastered the text, but that we remain committed to seeing and focusing on what God wants for us to maintain a growing faith and a stronger hope in the future he would have for us. There are stories of people in the early church who, who actually, uh, scholars in, in Qumran, who actually thought that maybe King Herod or King Herod's son was the anointed one that would be cut off, the, the Messiah to come, right? I mean, that's foolishness now as we look back on it. But, but as people were living through it, they're thinking, hey, maybe this is it. I think that's the wrong posture with which we should live our lives as followers of Christ as we think about the end. See, I don't want us to get lost in the cacophony of conflicting voices on how we're to make sense of these 77s before the Messiah returns. I don't want that for us. I, I think that doesn't bear the fruit that God wants to grow and cultivate in us. I want us to rise above this confusing language and I want us to see one clear message, that God is bringing this world toward a definitive end. I don't like saying that. I get it. There are people in this world we love. There are things that we look at and we say, that's not really bad, is it? 
God is bringing a definitive end to this world that has rejected him, that has refused him, that has refused to accept his gracious invitation to draw near to him. God's bringing an end, but he's also putting an end to sin. And, and he's restoring his people to the place where his glory dwells, where, where we are with him. And God will accomplish this. Not you, not me, God. In fact, as we've said, God's already begun to accomplish this through the life of Jesus. This is why when we, when, when we say to, to put your faith in Jesus, to accept him as Lord and King, it's so important to say yes to entering into the kingdom of heaven through Christ. Because then we put ourselves at the, at the foot of God and say, God, you do what only you can do. I'm going to trust you to do that. I'm going to trust you to deal with sin, not just my sin, but the sin of this world. I'm going to trust you to, to bring in your kingdom, to make the law of the land righteousness. I'm going to trust you to be my king. So, church, don't, don't fear the future. God's accomplishing all that he's set out to accomplish. It's in his hands. The focus of our daily lives is to live with this end in mind, not to try to figure out what this end is or how to get there, but to live with this end in mind. When Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, I want us to take his word for it. I want to take him at his word, and I want to live in light of the fact that his kingdom is at hand. We can start living according to the law of the land, the, the righteousness that Jesus will finally and completely bring in when he returns. But we don't have to wait for that day to begin doing it. We can seek first his kingdom and his righteousness now. So we live in light of that end now. I don't want us to live in panic as if the signs of the times are getting worse and worse so we need to ramp up our efforts. That's not what the Bible teaches us to do. The Bible teaches us to live in a steady faithfulness each day with Jesus, knowing that God is going to bring about his end, and when he does, guess what? We know what to expect. We know what God will accomplish before the end. In, in Matthew 24, Jesus tells his disciples that, that in these last days, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Church, does that sound like the world we're living in today? Yes. But don't be alarmed. This is the natural course that this world is taking. We're not going to get to, to turn the, the, the tide of what direction our world is heading in. Our purpose in these days is not to figure out how to make our lives more comfortable or more palatable in the present moment. It's not trying to figure out how to live now in such a way to, to avoid the future discomforts of, of the, the pain and the persecution as, as evil and wickedness ramps up in this world. Our purpose is to live each day obediently in Jesus' words to his disciples. Right? To live each day seeking first his kingdom 
and his righteousness, not being consumed with these scary images or ideas or the confusion of not being able to perfectly calculate what these dreams and visions mean. It's one of trust, to have faith like a child, a child with a heavenly father who loves them, provides for them, is protecting them, is caring for them, is guiding them. See, Daniel's dreams and visions tell us what the future of, is of the rulers and powers of this world. We know the trajectory of this world, but we also know what God will do in bringing about the end. God will bring an end to transgressions. Right? God will bring about the end of the wrongdoings of people. Not you, not me, God. God will make an end to sin. God has already made an atonement for the guilt. God has brought in everlasting righteousness through Jesus Christ. God will seal up vision and prophecy, and God has anointed a most holy place. God will do these things, not you and not me. And so we need not be so concerned as to when that will happen, and we need to not be so consumed as to when this will be or, or, or what this means happening in this part of the world or that. Because if we do, we forget what our part is in all of this. We get worried, we get anxious, we get consumed, and we forget what our part is in all this. Our part is to press on in faithfulness to Jesus to obey his word, and to live now as if we're living in his heavenly kingdom. We're to wait patiently, church. We're to live with great expectations because we trust and are confident that God will do what only God can do. So my encouragement to us today, even as we wrap up these verses on, in the book of Daniel, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Just have that singleness of focus. Don't be concerned about what's going on around here. Be concerned about the righteousness of God growing inside of you through the Holy Spirit. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all else will be added unto you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do, Lord, we thank you for the hope that we can take in trusting you, God, and Lord, we can, I confess, this is a hard thing for us to do. To trust that you are in control, even as things in this world seem out of control. But Lord, help us not to, not to, to take on a, a larger project than we need to. Help us to have a singleness of focus to, to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness to trust you, and to, to live with hope and anticipation of the day when you totally and completely bring an end to wrongdoing, put an end to sin, and usher in the fullness of the righteousness of your kingdom on this, in this world, Lord. Thank you for, uh, for proclaiming the words you did in and through the life of Daniel. May these words be a, a, a a precious treasure in our soul that we carry with us going forward as we seek to be faithful day in and day out to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.